Welcome to the Crash Course Podcast. Another week, another recording, another day in the life of three brave podcasters. Traverse the crossing the stars on horsemen or or what? Willoughby's. What? I don't know either. I was <laughs> like, that? no. I made up an you, animal. Willoughby's? Yes. It's a that... cross between a wilderbeast and a wallaby. That sounds like the most dangerous thing Australia's ever produced. <laughs> That's probably true. I was looking at this picture of a tree well, in Australia. Well, they did produce Mad Max. That was pretty no, dangerous. I, I, saw this, I saw this tree in Australia, and I saw underneath it 157 different animals in that picture could kill you. I didn't even see the animals. That's how dangerous they are. Huh. <laughs> you know how they have uh, America? Yeah. And now they have uh, Arabia? I want a Australia kind of a meme but where it's like that's not the relevant. most dangerous animal ever of its kind and it just says underneath it Australia well first of all you can't do it in that accent because they don't speak in that accent they a good do portion that. of America speaks that way <laughs> it's true yeah and it's quite disappointing and I'm not even going to try to do an Australian accent right now please don't not, not please, really. Please, please don't. Yeah. That's not please, an accent. Please, 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 please don't. This is an accent. Australia. <laughs> That's oh, the worst. The that worst. <laughs> probably the worst. How does speak That's like Australia. one of my favorite comedians on his podcast does bad accents, but his bad accents are just him always doing a really bad British accent, but saying he's from somewhere else. Mm. And it's it's actually Hello. pretty funny. No, it's Hello. Yeah, never mind. Anyway. Hello, oh. Governor. I'm from Russia. Something like that. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, he would actually do something like that. Like, he'd go, Hello, hello. I'm from Germany, I is. Yeah, exactly. Oh, jeez. Yeah. This is, this, is, this is really an ear sore. Yes. It would be uh. even better if he did pikey for everything. Because you never know who he's trying to pretend that he's trying to pretend. Is this all to teach me the error of my ways? Because I get it, all right? I'll never do Australia again. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and you curse you. Have to Damn it. it out. Uh, <laughs> Darn it. That's one. Dag-nabbit. <laughs> anyway, right. um, let's get into our album. So this week is John's pick. I chose Blue October. Blue October is a band that, for the longest of times, has actually... It, they, they created a sort of a subgenre. Pop, rock, love core. I don't know. It's, it, it's they kind of story. You came up with that on the spot. Yeah, yeah, it, it you really did. did. <laughs> there, it, the most distinctive aspect for the for them is their singer. He Justin Furstenfeld. He sings. It's a fun name to say. I want to get that out of the way right now <laughs> because it, as I say it, I might be giggling a little bit. Firsten, Furstenfeld, <laughs> you know, and such. Wow, wow, you're offending everybody today. <laughs> um, that's my job. Hey, just laugh in the same way. Um, where was I? Oh, Love no. Core. Love Core. Apparently. Because of the way his voice works and because of how well, sweet he sings, there's really... I can't you really know, I, you know I'm going to push that a little further because sweet... that That's too, too bubblegum of a word for the way in which he sings, which I think is the most serious and passionate part of this album. Yes. He really ha- puts 
his whole heart and soul into Justin it. Justin Furstenfeld is one of the most emotional singers I listen to. He, when you want, when I want to cope, vent, be cathartic, cry, be angry, I listen to Blue October. They have songs for every emotion of that spectrum well, and that love said, as well. That said, I do have issues with this album. We usually always started off that way. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And, um... Yes, yes. I guess the problem here is the fact that sometimes it doesn't always feel like the the music is... is, It's always a step behind his voice. His voice, really, that is is the shining beacon of this album. And sometimes I feel like it's above this album to some extent. Um, Which is understandable. I mean, you know your own emotions, and the best way you can bring that out is by singing. So he's probably been singing a very long time. Uh, it, there's that's, definitely a lot of talent there. That's something I would say has actually been one of the big problems with Blue October and their entire career. His voice is just so good. And the music will not always match it. That's yeah. not you know unique to this album. This is something that's a bit of a trend. And I think we can uh, start that off... Well, actually, the first a little question. In the history of Blue October, because I'm not as familiar at, from as their work uh, as you are, in the history of Blue October, were they... Was it typical for them to incorporate orchestral themes into the production work? Yes. Not uh, not completely typical to this extent. They did it more in this record than in the past, but they have their. It's they, not unusual. The violinist is a per, and ch- the violinist is a permanent member of the band, so he's okay. always with them on tour and on stage, and he plays piano, I believe, as well. Okay, because so. that was a bit of an exception to to the rule I said before that the music is always lagging a step behind, and it seemed like the the orchestra was. Um, in some sense, trying to make up for that, which it did marvelously in certain points, and I think that should uh, we should start out with the intro here. Breathe in. No, uh, it's breathe. It's over. Oh, breathe. It's over. My bad. Breathe in <laughs> is how the song ends. Yeah. Wow, that was that must have been a. Uh... Well, it's a very <laughs> pointed part of the song. Freudian this is a very short introduction song, minute and a half. It is a great introduction song. It does an an excellent job of setting the stage. This is. Almost as good as Two Men from Verona. I mean, that's mm. what it does for the storyline that's about to happen. Interesting. The, this, there. this is kind of a, a, a standard for Blue October. They often have great intro tracks that really set up a flow of the record. Um, the last one that was this good was uh, Approaching Normal, which was not the last record, but the record before it had a really solid intro track. Five, six years ago. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and that one had a really great intro track. The last album... Any Man in America was a different kind of record. Well, for for starters, I am going to classify most of this as pop. But yeah. the, considering a lot of the issues that we've had with a lot of other pop bands, is sometimes it always doesn't feel like the arc is there. It always feels yeah. like you know there's 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 the hook, there's the the catchy chorus, but the the arc is just not present. And yet, I feel that there's a lot of bookending going on in this particular album, both for the track and the album itself. Mm-hmm. It starts off the album very much the way it ends, and it does that even within the track. Uh, one thing, however, is that this intro was pretty short. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily a detractor, though, because it's such a flowing, you know, chilling intro. I feel like you don't really have to drag that out too much just to just to state it. Yeah, That's, that's all that's it, important. It presents... The instruments of the album, the theme, and the style all at once, very concisely, and it showcases the, the layering that we're going to get, which is really very good production work. Right, and that said, the thing about bookending is often the stuff in the middle can be 
<laughs> well, you can offer a lot of different material when you're bookending things. You you can get to a crazy climax that seemingly doesn't have much to do with the rest, but I'm not gonna say that they did that in a climax per se. I'm gonna say they did it with this second track, Sway. It was a very 80s style uh, track to me. It had a, a semi-electronic kind of intro. Um, I it, would not. I would not see this being too far away from "Don't You Want Me." As far as theme, I heard. Wise. A, I heard Depeche Mode in this. Yeah, like, through and through. That's a great very, very electronic. Yeah. Uh, very percussive using in a beatbox kind of way yeah. but at the same time sweet romantic so, so which was say, common for 80s 80s tracks the kind of stuff you put in a chick flick when the so, chick flick was born something to say about Justin Furstenfeld especially as well as the rest of his band is that they're very much influenced by lots of other music styles they have a lot of hip hop rock pop influences you know and it comes out in parts of their music they sometimes tend to genre jump within one album but the arcing, the the arcing interconnection the is always is there. Yeah, yeah. The emotion is always very, just just about almost always very sincere. This album is about a very ugly divorce, and this song is the teenage innocent romance. To be clear, a lot of his albums are about a very ugly divorce. Yes. The 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 the, <laughs> the trials he'd went through with his ex wife and his you know and what it put his daughter through and him through comes up in almost every record since it's happened but that being said i feel like just the a little bit thing? of personal do we have a year on that by a chance when the bre- breakup happened uh, i can say years? what album but i can't say what say the album i believe it happened on um the the foiled album because because okay. that's the album that has a song called hate me mm. that was more like 2000 Actually, it was, it was before that album because "Hate Me" is about when things started to go wrong. Interesting. Well, anyway, as I was I saying, it's important d- details for this album. I but think. that '80s theme fits great with the idea of this was the young love. There's an innocence here, an earnest innocence here, that while it does seem a little immature, it's not immature in a sense that it's being childish. It's more immature in a sense that it's just not aged yet it's well do you believe it's a young. it's, it's a, um, a reminiscent track a nostalgia track looking yeah, to the yeah. beginning is is this album chronicling their I think relationship it's, it's the future looking back like okay. him in the present looking back but obviously if he's using these these themes and this you know yeah, we could say it it's a somewhat of a childish uh, romance then he's putting himself in his former For, self yes yeah, yeah. exactly um, and so the fact that the themes of the song kind of go back in time makes sense for the theme of the song itself being a song then, from the Then past. it makes sense. I, mean, I appreciate that, considering uh, the, the first track is sort of an introduction that does... It, it's, it's the overture, so to speak. And then this is really chapter one. It, yeah. Track one now, could really be the prologue. For, for all of its earnest, innocent nature, he, he was... It's going to come up a lot. He was very emotional in his singing this is where i realize i'm i'm not digging the lyrics yet i'm not really digging what he's saying because i do enjoy the idea of come dance with me which is what the song lyrically is about stay come back and forth we'll sway we'll be transported through another place through our dancing that's what he's going for here and nothing stuck out to me 
And that was also coupled with the music. Nothing really stuck out. Well, that's what I'm going to go into. Musically, however, I'm going to bite my tongue because he just covered the lyrical end of things. And musically, I'm just going to bite my tongue for the for the for the time being because I was actually very defensive of this track. Uh, I said it was different. I said it was different for this album, and that does not always mean bad. This particular case, I thought, you know, it was a little repetitive, but I didn't mind any of that because. The track is called Sway. You expect there to be a little bit of hypnotism involved, you know, just being in the moment and letting it ride. And I was kind of enjoying that. The the nostalgia factor, yeah, it had yeah. some cliches, it had some tropes, but I was I was digging the modern twist. I just I was all right with it. I did find one piece, the the late bass breakdown in the verse, um, with the vocals was oh yeah, was very enjoyable. That had such a rumble to it. I was totally in love with that bass. And, and emotionally, this track has the connection that you come to expect from Justin Furstenfeld, the way he sings. A lot of his lyrics, it's not about always what he's saying, but how he says it. That gives it its power. Yeah, this but, is... He can't... He, he's not going to do high energy too often. But if you want feels, you will get it. And, and he brings it here. I mean, you can just feel this kind of engaging, overwhelming appreciation almost of this young love. Yeah, there's hope. And he does yeah. it in such a, a, a sad tone, but there's so much hope. And just on the pop end of things, the sweetness side of it, uh, I think could often be compared to what, what I personally think is one of the, the beacons of, of pop to on, on that sweet end today, and that's the band Keen. And I found some comparisons here. If you replaced his vocals with Justin Furstenfeld's vocals, which are drastically different. Right. Uh, but but if you take the musical framework, I think there's a lot of similarities. It's just their their manner of executing the same thing is very, very different, which is interesting. I always like different. And this song really does a great job of leading into Angel in Everything. Angel in Everything is the second single from this record. The first single is the track after this. But this is the second single from the album... This is more of a mature look at the same love. It's almost a proclamation of love. It, it's it's more of a mature romance in what it's talking about. It builds upon sway. This yeah. is this is before the fall. These are a great pairing of tracks. I think that they go well together, and they're conveying a sim- the same emotion, but in different ways from a different point of view. And there was even a little bit I could hear the uh, the maturity in this track comparatively. Uh, there was m- more emotion in the melodies. Um, the choruses got some... Uh, the verses were a little simplified, but I did enjoy the choruses a lot more. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. I think you're, the, the give and take when it comes to maturity, because that also means the move away from that 80s sound. The, Angels is Angels and Everything is a much more of a modern-sounding track to me. It mm-hmm. sounds like it's it's in its prime right now. I, don't, I wouldn't see it in any other time. But, of course, that does mean I hear a lot of, you know, common pop themes in this track, and I think the verses was the primary spot for it it's just a you know could have gone a little further with it in my opinion but it's still not that bad and he did more with the song uh as a whole yeah any, in any case so and it had that, really that, bu- that makes up for it he really built upon a previous emotion expanded it and and kind of did did a little more with it yeah with, this is also the first time the orchestra joins for the bridge in this track which yeah, i yeah and that led straight into a breakdown ending chorus that was really really beat up brought down, simplified. Well, this is where I really... Yes, that, that's for sure. Which was um, perfect for that A very nice cool-down. But the orchestra... This is where I noticed the orchestra was going to be kind of a running theme for this album, which is why I asked... I made a point to ask whether They've it's... They've done orchestral in, themes before, but I don't know if it right. was as much as in this, but Well, it could have. be just the, you know, the production 
the hand at work. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a nice touch. I do feel like it was a little bit overused in this album. Um, there was a certain moments where I feel like, you, you know, you're hearing the same... They're beautiful, beautiful melodies, or beautiful compliments, I should say, right. to the existing material. But you hear it one too many times, and believe me, I'm a sucker for orchestral themes. It's just, you hear it one too many times, and it almost bleeds together in the end. But it still was a nice undertone, and I could tell that's what they were going for. It creates that that gorgeous, you know, and a little bit of chilling here and there, yeah. you know, when you have the, the upright basses coming in to rumble, because it, it really seemed like a full-fledged orchestra. Yep. Could be just work with layering. Could be a lot of just... Yeah. Same guy playing the same, uh, playing different variations. I, I think of the, the word same for theme. it, the word for it is gaudy. I think, which is a little far, but at the same time, for for the bass sweetness of many tracks on this album, and that includes this track. Gaudy I feel like is not too far. Yeah, it's. I think gaudy, gaudy is still too a little too harsh. It. No, it's in this case, you wanted it to be towards what we consider gaudy. I wanted, it to, I wanted it to be it. towards the sweeter end, to be honest. And sweeter does not always indicate gaudy, so... Eh, it's a... It's a really give-and-take scenario here. But I can't help but think that it was tasteful in a way. <laughs> on one side, I'm calling something gaudy. On another side, tasteful. I think there's gonna... There, there might be a lot of... Uh, a lot of conflicting opinions on this album. Well, also... But it's it, not gonna turn you off. Right, well, Blocktober, I mean... At, while we're still in the beginning, is one of those bands that's kind of really hard to hate. You know, they're just... I mean, unless you hate love and feels and sadness, but but it's kind of hard to hate a lot of these tracks, even if we have complaints. They have a very similar... Not tone, but similar... Uh, vibe? Vibe as Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I'd like to use them as an example because... Okay, you're going to explain that. I don't know anybody... Who honestly will go? I hate the Chili Peppers. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. I hate them. All, no, there's a, a always relatability. a song. That's yeah, right. everybody. Everybody looks at the Chili Peppers as like even their bad stuff. You're not gonna change the channel on. Like you don't. There's nothing you hate. You well, just may not care for it. It's I'll the put same it, sort of deal with I'll this. I'll put album. it this way. I've 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 developed this little theme where I'm I'm noticing certain pop bands and I might call them department store music. You know, and which really defines the kind of stuff that it's playing in the store you're not exactly paying attention to it because it's not supposed to distract you from shopping i'm going to put this a little bit ahead of that oh no absolutely this is, this is more complex than some of the department store rock that we But at the same time it. it's still sweet i could still hear it in the department store but i don't mean i don't i'm not saying it with the same vindictiveness as i well, said well and previous. also this this is still friendly enough that you could uh, some of the songs not all of the songs like this might actually turn my head toward the speaker i That's might what stop I'm shopping yeah so not department store more hot topic <laughs> well, different uh, music gonna, choice well, in there. If there was a store that's going to be doing this album, it will be Hot Topic. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, yeah, Hot Topic tends to see, stay towards more. Then uh, again, I don't even know what they're doing lately. Yeah, so, no, I avoid it like the plague. Anyway, yeah. anyway, uh, back on topic. So we'll get into now the first single of the record, which is called Bleed Out. Um, this song, as far as singles go for Blocktober, Blocktober has a habit of ha releasing their first single being one of the more in your face tracks and and the perfect example is hate me this is this is and, the spiritual um, successor to hate me what was the other single on this album angels, angels and everything. everything 
They usually so do a heavy. The- they usually do an in your face song and then a sweeter song. That's usually their their single release pattern. So what's your take on 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 both of these? I think they're pretty much standard fare for what Blue October would do. Okay, so um, this is the the heavier end to you or the sweeter end? Oh, this bleed out in your face then. The bleed, bleed out, out is, is the heavy. heavier end because the cor- the way the chorus jumps and it's supposed to kind of grab you and shake you a little bit. Now it's okay. that's the emotion he's going for. Bleed out specifically starts with a great echo intro. It was a very emotional piece of work. It's a very melancholy nature of the it track. It did an excellent job. Goes straight into the first verse. Does beautiful work building it up. When it gets to the chorus hits too high too fast and has one little piece that I just cannot stand in this song. And that is a <laughs> beat machine. Yeah, this is where the beat machine becomes a little bit... Maybe it's because we moved away from it since Sway. See, no one expects anything but uh, sort of synthy, electronic-sounding music when you're, when you're in that 80s zone. But then, after you introduce an orchestra in Angels and Everything, it, it felt kind of weird to go back to that and bleed out. It's like we've gotten more toward well, the... it's not a the, beat machine. It's a drummer. They have a drummer. Part of it was a beat machine. Was it? I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure about the that. The machine Yes, there was gun, a drummer beneath it. But. Oh, okay. The machine gun speed beat going was not... It, it, one person would need two hands just on that to play it. It's just too fast. It's, it's too repetitive. And I think that was the biggest problem going from the first verse to chorus and subsequent verse to chorus transitions. That was just too much, too heavy. It, just, it took me out of the melancholy feel. Like, they were building a melancholy feel that for the, the song, idea. but it was for so brief. But that was the idea. Yes, It was but... supposed to shake you. I disagree with John. I think the, that... It's, it's totally disconnected. It's, I disagree. I, I, the, I agree with John on this particular A build-up would have been better, because that would allow you to actually make the transition. I disagree. And no. this is why I disagree. We don't have to agree on this, but at least let me say my part. Okay. I think that because, especially in a lot of Blocktober songs where they want to shake you up a bit, they start with this melancholy feel and then throw you into this chorus to kind of rattle you and give you this kind of in-your-face emotional impact very early on and then play through on it. All right, I can respect that reasoning. It only feel, it feels like they're doing that for an audience that has ADD. That an audience that wouldn't wait around for the full breadth of emotion. An audience that really just wants the punch here, now, and fast. In other words, this might be a little bit back to that department store music. The kind of stuff that it's, you're not going to be around long enough and there's for two the chorus. So there's actually three put other... Put it up there, quickly. There's, there's three other... There's three main reasons why I, I, I just could not get on board with it. One, once again, lyrically, not catching me so there's nothing driving me through that that jump two the second verse is a more complicated rendition of the first and it works a lot better not perfect yet but a lot better in that bleed through to chorus well that's pretty common you know you go and to the three, second verse and you're just a little bit more settled into the song and it's at that more point. complicated and it's barring from pieces, the chorus from yes. the chorus works a lot better it's that a to b jump now but the third part the b third part b to a <laughs> yeah the third part is there are instances where they take out that fast machine gun machine and it sounds so much better. It really does sound that 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 chorus sounds so much better without that machine in it. And it I I feel like it would work so much better if you just didn't have that insufferable ticking on top of everything. 
Yeah, I see. I don't know if I can call it insufferable. I just don't. Me too. Because I, I barely it, noticed it. I, I just not don't get away think, from it. I just don't think it fit I th- too much. I think it depends it was a, on what you're. It was a very. On. It was a very tailor-made pop track hit jump for me. It, it, it was those kind of tropes. When when up until this point, he had he was in a pretty serious emotional state. I feel an earnest emotional state, something that was relatable, but at the same time not cookie cutter. And I feel like that this chorus just kind of, it borrowed pieces, only pieces of that, because the vocals are still there. He's still able to belt it, and I still, I will hold that in, through almost, almost every single track on this album, that his lyric, sorry, his uh, vocals are what hold it together. They're the ones that, that prove to me that there is passion there, whereas the music sometimes meanders back and forth. I think that's, that's, that's my two cents on it. Moving on to track five, Debris. This is the longest track on the record. It's somewhere around six minutes, six and a half. This is, I I will say it right now, this is probably either my favorite or second favorite. I haven't really decided. Debris has a beautiful intro. It's got a, a huge haunting groove. And this big bass line intro... Which is just great, and when it brings in the synth, I'm in, I'm I'm like, oh, it's the next level right there. When it brings that synth in and has a little bit of fluttering on top of the deep deep bass, I love it. The I'm in bass, love. The bass was enough to almost almost challenge my contention that the vocals are the most uh, powerful feature of this album. Uh, there is quite a few quite a few tracks that that include this. The, this, the manner of bass playing, it's very tender. It's very, it, it's deep, it has a rumble to it, but uh, it's definitely, you know, you're not picking. It's got to be finger work here. And there's just something about it that at, when it, it's existing beneath everything else, providing sort of an undertone, I think it's the reason we find it so haunting. But oh, the synth is definitely. part of the reason as well. And the synth was not cookie cutter in this instance. It was very tasteful. It was... uh working off the rest of the music as opposed to just doing its own thing up there, you know, playing in a loop. And while we were listening to it, Steve said gritty, and when he said gritty, I immediately thought of rain falling on an oil slick on the street. I mean, that's what it feels like. It feels that grimy, dirty slickness with the music, and it's a beautiful idea. It gives that idea of debris, of taint, just... Full force, and I love it for that. It's it's one of the darker tones so far on the record. Bleed Out has dark moments, but this this whole track is just it's supposed to be this kind of dark, rainy. Debris is also the longest track on the album. For that reason, yeah. I, I think they were able to flush out a lot of these ideas uh, to their full potential. And the, so, sometimes length does really help a song. It, the, ma- it makes me it makes me believe it's not as cookie cutter. The punctuating point of that length was the outro is almost half the song. Like, the outro starts with a bridge that develops into what you think is going to be an outro that actually does extend and expand upon itself, really getting just discorded and complicated towards the end, and gets a final restatement of the theme. I love the way they did that because there was one thing that really kept it all together for me, and that was him... It was the vocals... Ple- uh, pleading out she's the only woman punctuating the sections of of this latter half of the song that was just so haunting and so beautiful yeah 
And I do got to say, the it was the build-up to that breakdown that I think really made it for me. And this is what I'm talking about. I mean, when you have a track this long, it's about it's the only track that goes over the six-minute mark in this album. And I feel like you're just able to take these ideas. It, it proves that there's substance there. And it it's clear that there is. I mean, for the build-up itself, you have this rising bass and this nice steady drum. Very, very steady. Keeping you keeping you focused and alerting you that there's going to be something to come. And then he's wailing along with this build-up, so you can hear the emotion on the rise, and then finally, you know, the, your your typical breakdown. But it wasn't just typical. I, I felt like it had some of the most emotive lyrics, as well as the most emotive vocals. Well, yeah, it was to give this sense of haunting kind of unclarity, gloominess... It was supposed to. It's it's essentially supposed to reflect the fallout out of after a big, something. It's tainted. Yeah, that's probably the word I would like. I would like to use the most in the song. There's a tainted nature to the character we're experiencing in debris, to the the vocalist, the main person. He is damaged. Yeah, I um. You know, I think it's not the best breakdown that I've ever heard, but at the same time, it's not. It's, it's good not be- because it's it best wasn't contextually. Compli- contextually, yeah. I think this is the best track on the album. It was good because it wasn't complicated. It was not simple, but it wasn't. You know, I think it's jazz. the first. I think it's I the mean, first time he had a very, very <clears throat> fresh idea and followed through on it throughout, beginning to end. You know, not throwing in any any courtesy courtesy loops here and there and again a lot of that might be production work because you know producers for all their for all their wonders for all their fault they do know what sells and th- that stuff kind of does sell but in this particular case it, it it felt like everything was was kept at bay just the tasteful art at play so moving on to track six we have fear one of my favorite things about fear even though it's still not as it's definitely i mean debris set a standard but my thing that I loved about Fear is that you get a solid minute, maybe more, of just a duet between the vocals of Justin Furstenfeld and the piano of uh, this piano, and it and it just was really beautiful. It it worked really well, and then after about a minute, maybe a minute and a half, it kind of explodes into the sound of the rest of the band kicking in, but in a way that kind of pushes the song forward and kind of gets you moving with the song. And I'm going to disagree on that. I am also going to disagree on that. I wow, we thought like this was going to be your two against one here. It's the opposite way around in this case. This one, uh, while well, I will say the introduction, uh, it does fill you with apprehension, which I think is what they're going for, especially through the first chorus. Once you get through that first big chorus, you, you, you hit a level and it kind of stabilizes and stagnates from there. And I don't feel like we were rising up to something and it hit a crescendo and it kind of just petered out from there. Well, and this goes back to my little point of contention here. I think that's because they went back to those same pop themes. There's also there's a lot of looping going on, going on in this track. Even the stuff that's not necessarily a pop theme, it's always, you know, a group of four, you know, a f- group of four beats, group of four chords over here. It's not like that's bad. The vast majority of pop music out there does it. It's just I I feel like that was the reason why this couldn't have really been flushed out. It just kind of as you said, petered out. In the beginning, it was very thin. It was very emotional. You have your your keyboard beneath it. I mean, what's more emotional than that? Everyone hears that 
solitary piano with the vocals overhead. And they're like, all right. There. You're going. You're going, right? You're on to something, right? But you got to do something with that. You got to go somewhere. And And instead... He was, but it it stopped. I don't know. And because of that that stop, it, it was going, going, and it's... It's almost like instead of, you know, finishing the journey, he hit something and just couldn't continue it. It's more like in what you... See, Matt, you termed it an explosion. But when you say that that was an explosion, I heard almost the same thing I had heard in various sections of Angels is Everything. Even a little bit of the chorus is bleed out. I heard that, that vein, which means we already kind of heard it. I wanted the piano section to be flushed out. Or maybe a different kind of climax. I don't know. It just seemed a little, a little safe for the climax. Started out well, but I wasn't too, too happy with where it ended up. I think it was too fast in moving from an apprehension to that joyful hope release, and then sticking with just everything's kind of okay. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. It's that joyful hope release that I think is what we see in so much pop music. Because yeah. that, after all, does get crowds going. Everyone loves joy. Everyone likes the release. And it but was I don't con- just want release. It wasn't just that. They were content Too with safe. it. They were content with staying there for the for this latter half of the song. And that's what kind of petered out on it. It also, and one other thing, it makes the songs seem a little bit longer than they actually are. When you loop those sections the way they do. When you plateau. I'll say that the second half of the song wasn't great, but I still liked... That it went into that heavy oh, section. I wasn't, I'm not saying it was. I disliked it. I'm just saying I wanted more. It left yeah. me wanting. Okay, fair enough. It started. It started off really good. That I will give it. It yeah. fear. It was your typical off, crooner intro, you know. No, it wasn't just that. But it's you're working with some. But who great, doesn't love a crooner intro? <laughs> but you're working with a hell of a crooner. That's true. So it really was going somewhere special. Yeah, I love the Modern day intro. crooner. <laughs> I love the intro through That's first chorus. That's probably yeah. one of the better ways to put it, I think. Yeah. A modern day crooner. Moving on to track seven. Things we... I'm sorry. Did Things I we the, don't know about. There we go. So this song... And it, I mean, <coughs> it's sweet. I mean, if we're going to talk about any emotion, it's just a sweet song. He's singing from the perspective of the father to daughter in the very specific case because he does have a daughter named Blue. However... It could be to any you know, any parent to child. We've heard this a few times already this year, most notably with the Green Day albums. Uh, that's not saying this is Green Day level. This it is was not one, nearly as bad. This is definitely done very well, and there were good, great moments in the song. But essentially, this this and the song did fit within the themes themes. But essentially, this song is from daughter from father to daughter. It's not a song. It's a conversation. Pretty much. That's that's the whole issue with it. It's a conversation set to music. It it works as like a exposition for the theme, but it doesn't work as a song as a whole. It's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> this whole album though is sweet with a touch of sadness. And I, I I can't help but think that John put it best in the previous track when, you know, that joyful hope release, I feel like we're just getting more of it here. Um I wasn't as down on this track as you were, but at the same point, it didn't wow me in any sense. Maybe I do. I wasn't as um, I wasn't as negative on, on the arc, 
concept as you guys were with this particular track. The fact no, that it, I wasn't you know negative did, on it. the fact that it didn't belong because it was a, a oh, father no, to daughter track. Oh no, I took that track. back. I yeah, took that, that back. I didn't. I think that's very relevant. I mean, how could you not incorporate your daughter? No, no, no. Yeah, I, a... I didn't. I wasn't saying that it didn't fit the arc. I was only comparing it to those other songs that were in a similar vein. And the reason I this would... one actually fits the arc, though. It does fit the arc thematically, but it's the fact that it's a conversation, not really a song, in my opinion. That mm. I just don't feel it fits. It has song stuff. It does feel a little bit limited. Yeah. Um, but again, I would if you're hesitate writing... to call it fully passionate. Yeah, but if he's writing it to his young daughter, it there did... definitely is passion. But yeah. it didn't have it to. Should... But he didn't have to make it overly complicated because it's not supposed to be. Right. I don't think it ever was supposed to be. So that's why it's not. Regardless of whether we want it to be more complicated or not, it doesn't matter because that's not what its intent was. Well, that said. I did think that the drums held together this particular track. Yes, I kind of liked really the drum work. Drums, yeah. It was just a. You said talking about complexity, and you know, you wouldn't think that a father-to-daughter track would have like great drum work. You know, that's yeah. like the last place your mind would go. But this particular track, that was true. Yeah. Moving on to Hard Candy, which was the first time. I mean, not that I was sleeping through this album, but it was one of those kind of. It was sudden, an eye opener. Yeah, it was an eye opener. So Hard Candy is clearly a song about it. Uh, drug use and 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 leaning on substances to get through this, for better okay. or worse. Lyrically, there's a lot of references to the drug drug crawl, uh, the the hard candy crawl, the hard candy dissolved, taking the candy. The candy is obviously pills, something of that sort. I could probably think of half a dozen off the top of my head. It probably is. It starts with a great rock riff introduction to get that damaging feeling right out into the open. This song has a structure that I wasn't expecting, although he's done similar things in the past where he's kind of had these disjointed kind of a rock tracks, but I liked how heavy and rough it was. His singing wasn't as refined and melodic and beautiful as it usually is. It was kind of a little rougher all around the edges, like insert 90s rough singer here. It was pregnant with anger. Yes. That's that's what the the instruments were producing. It was raw. And yes, his voice really didn't have that same sweet mel- uh, melodic nature that we'd heard. It was a little bit more gravelly. And I was okay with the gravelly. I want to take. I have a couple points to make at this juncture. It's um, considering the drug theme, I I feel very similarly about this track and its execution of painting that low point. You know where drugs are your vice, mm-hmm. as the track on the Queens of the Stone Age album that was meant to do the same exact thing. Yeah, I know exactly we what all, that about. We weren't quite on board with it because, let's face it, John's right, there's been a lot of songs that have gone down this road ever since the seven, the 60s. I mean, ever since the birth of psychedelic rock. So, when I, I feel that in many ways psychedelic rock is the way in which people really explore that, that right. base, that... that but but if you're not gonna psychedelic if you're not a psychedelic rock star you're gonna do it in your way course, in your frame of course of course at the same point I feel like there should be a little bit more uh, anger or well, my my biggest complaint with whatever this, emotion you are going through my biggest complaint with this track is I loved the rough feel of the verses and how rock it sounded and then the choruses were back to that kind of melodic pop sound and it was I understand that the track is supposed to sound disjointed I get that that's intentional. But still, I would have rather the verse, the courses sounded more like the verse. Well, I first want to say I caught That's a bit true. of an interview here. He was in a rough place, certainly in the last album. He mm-hmm. was in a very rough place, so I want to make that clear. that th- I think there is definitely an uphill swing with this album. Yes. Um, in terms of his own 
emotional psyche and that's that's great that's wonderful we, we should all hope for better things um at the same point it could very well be that because he's in that better position now it's a little bit harder to look back on that moment a little bit harder to put yourself back in the place where he was which is why i just i feel like this track it, I, I could almost tell that it was uh, that it was nostalgia, which that means it's exactly what he was going for. Perhaps I'm not. Well, even that's a little bit of a question mark. But it's, he it's could almost... have been. I don't know if he was trying to put himself back in there, or if he was just looking back. Was it a glance or was it immersion? But that's the whole thing. The verses was really immersed. The choruses were. Less. Not. The choruses were much thinner than the verses in this song. And that agree. was my problem. Is I, I do agree. I got it again. It goes back to the, what I love to say about Justin. Justin brings you in with his the way he sings, not necessarily what he's singing, but always how he's singing. And those harsh verses, you get this rough, raw "I need it" feel. And then the choruses, it just kind of falls thinner. It's not as emotive as the verses were. Okay, uh, you know what? You, you make a very good point, and I, I had forgotten how 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 much more impactful those verses were com when compared against the choruses. Maybe it's just because the choruses, you know, they're usually bracketed and yeah. highlighted in such a way that you're meant to focus on them. The build-up is always to the chorus. That's why they call it the chorus. So that's the way most of these tracks have been painted. So to hear opposite way around, you know... Bizarre. Maybe, yeah. But, I mean, if you're trying to... I mean, your world gets wrecked by drugs, so... That also yeah. could or could not be intentional. I mean, yeah, that's one thing going for it. I mean, but I will say, no, there was definitely a surreal aspect to the verses that almost yes. do uh, prove against my points. I'll, I'll move like, back on that. Well, it showcases the fact that memory dulls pain. Yeah, yeah, right there. Absolutely, that's, it. that's actually a good way to put it. But you know, then when you go into that, that's the, just it—the dulling nature of the choruses themselves. That's it's. It did anyone hear the a theme? He, did anyone hear a punk vibe in here? A little yeah. bit. Like, you, you said something, what, what, what did John quote you? Like a bubblegum punk or something? <laughs> it, yeah, it did sound a little bit like no, bubblegum punk to me. Because track. I thought that was the next track. No, it was actually this track. Oh, okay. Um, that's that's how I would have described it. But maybe I'm feeling that's a little bit too harsh now, considering the verses and whatnot. But the choruses were a little bit, you know, unenthusiastic. Yes, but by keep in, in, in keeping with this harsher theme, track nine, put it in. The best way to say this, this is a song about effing life. Physically. Yeah. It, not metaphorically, physically. I want to take an aside to talk about the genre jumps that we're doing at this moment. Yeah. Because this is attitude rock. It's You know, it is. And yeah. this is a very, very different, between this and the last track, if you consider that to be a, a punkish sounding song. Absolutely, yeah. Then from... One to seven, we've gotten one thing. And I'm going to come right out and say it. And It's some sort of pop borrowing from the post-rock yeah. field. Which is that, you know, you have a guitar kind of strumming to create sort of an ambient effect behind it. And also experimenting within the confines of that pop framework. Which, <laughs> that means drawing from orchestral sounds here and there. It's still rock. It's definitely still rock. But it's got a little bit more of an introspective vibe for it, which is why we're on the much better, the significantly better end of the department store music spectrum. Because, let's face it, post-rock is no longer post. It's been around for uh, more than a decade now. And, well, even more than that, probably about 20 years. And it's, uh, it's always kind of been the underground thing. And here pop music is discovering it. And... Pulling they're, it into a more... They're blending. Yeah, they're blending. They're having babies. They're pulling it into a more universally 
accepted. And now we're so, getting was, to the fall. There was the, that. That's the whole thing. Thematically, it's going from love to pain to the next stage of grief, denial, anger, wrath. But at the same time, I feel like we're looking into we're moving into more. Uh, they hesitate to use this term, but genuine genres, maybe things that aren't as you know, oh, pop borrowing from this and this, th- like we almost straight up punk, and yeah. then this almost straight up attitude rock. Attitude rock. All right, we'll so go with the this. thing about Blue October. Also, just for you, Steve, since I know you don't know their catalog like me and John do. Okay, they have a habit of doing this. They have a chunk of sincere love or pain or sad songs. And then for a couple of tracks on an album, they jump genres. They've done techno on earlier records. They've done hip hop on earlier records. And the the last the last album, Any Man in America, the song Any Man in America, features a rapper on it and has a more hip hop rap vibe. So they do that. They dabble genre. And and it, this is kind of so far. This album has not broken the formula for Blue October at all. But I know to you it seems a little strange because we had so much of a similar thing from 1 to 7 and then it, it started genre jumping but this is kind of atypical not atypical this is typical for what Blocktober does on most it's records it's typical by being atypical yes <laughs> nice way to bring it around but you understand what I'm saying I buy it okay this, this atypical typicalness is continued in light you up oh no wait put it in we don't there's not much to say about this the, besides my, the fact that it's full of I uh, used to play just the tip my, my, my problem with... Look, yeah, a lot of innuendo going on. I, yeah. I'm a fan of innuendo for the sake of being ridiculous. I and mean, funny. You want to do something like that? But this song, it's just... It almost seems creepy and harsh. Like... Yeah, that's that's the best way to put it. It, it really seems creepy and harsh. And, and typically, he doesn't do that. But again, if he's going through this kind of manic feeling, he might be losing his bearings in this song. If well, Tenacious D had done this song with Tenacious D's flair... It would have worked, lyrically. It really would have worked lyrically. It's interesting, but it doesn't have that comedic tongue-in-cheek it's flair. The, well, because it's is not what, supposed to be tongue-in-cheek, I don't think, and that's, that's the what. Problem. And I think that's what kind of gives us so much creepy vibe. Well, it's funny how the brain plays tricks on you here. I tend to go back and forth with a lot of these themes, and when it comes to when it comes to the lyrics, I wasn't as inclined to to be as down on it as you guys, you guys, just because of the fact that it was, yes, it wasn't the greatest metaphor in the world, but at the same time, I found it to have a little bit more creativity than the rest of the lyrics on yet, this album. Yet, at the same time, it was, it was metaphor, 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 very thinly veiled innuendos, and I... I, but at least there was some cleverness going on there. The rest, I'll of the, give see, you that. The rest, I will give you I'll that. Give you there that. was some. There was, a, I guess, a lot more emotion in many of the other tracks in this album. But, but at the same time, the lyrics weren't as they weren't playing around with. They were they were delivering. But oh, but 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 the but, tropes. If I need, you throw a few drinks in me, and you 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 have me hanging out with one of my female friends that I want to make pissed off, which I'd like to do when I'm drinking. I would have been able to do this song off the cuff. The thing is about... Uh, you know what I mean? Even like, I doubt that of no, you, like, John. I, if you want to be sexist, it's really easy to come up with a lot of these lines. Not that they're sexist, but it's really easy to come up with this. Okay, try to look past what he's saying here. It's... The sexism... 
That's not if, sexist. If that's what you were going for, then that these lyrics would fit that end. Of course, that's yeah. not what he's going for. No, but no. It's, it's, it, this song is trying to show a return to immaturity, even though it doesn't suit him. And it's it's something that people struggle with when their heart is broken. They become, well, I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want. I'm going to go where I want to do. And this song does convey that emotion. I guess for me, just the singing itself, which is usually what pulls me, th- you know, what I identify most with with Blue October, just didn't have the same emotional impact of how he sang, like in the other tracks. What he said might have been more solid in this innuendo, but how he was singing it wasn't as sincere to me. Maybe we should just break it down in like in, in much more simpler terms. Like, can we just say it? It it it's it's comparing the attack on life, the grab the bull by its horns uh, aspect Met- metaphor, of course, yeah. to to a phallic insertion. Yeah, <laughs> that's essentially what this song is about. Which uh, I don't think is a terrible. No, thing. it's not. No, it's I just. Think... It just. It. And I mean, also, yeah. I mean, it's just yes. Yes. I mean, really. That's it. That's I'm it. sorry. I'm Stop. gonna be. I'm. I'm trying not to be prick here. I just want to be a little no, bit no, more defensive of this track. It's funny you should say that you're trying not to be a prick in a song about uh-huh. insertion. Boom shot. But yeah, you'll add that in later. Anyway, um. <laughs> I have a rim Light shot. you up. How do you Let's not have a rim shot? Moving like on. Prolific on the boards. Moving on I'll to light it. you up because the internet. Um, so this had a kind of groovy techno intro. It had a cliche pop machine intro. But it was still techno-y. No, it was pop machine. Forget about the word techno in this case. Techno created this back in the 70s. Hence why it's now called pop that's, machine. That's a, yeah, techno is a completely incorrect usage for, for this particular track. Okay, um, a very synthy pop machine intro. Yes, Cle- no. pure cliche. Yes, you're that, gonna force that out. Don't now, you? in that in that little thing, it actually started off on a nice little upbeat. I enjoyed it. It was a little more invigorating, and then it really starts to become the same exact thing throughout the whole song, making it forgettable. That was it. There was no no change from the intro for gonna, me. It, it baselined. I'm gonna come out and say it. I was not a fan of the vocals in this track. It's the only track on this album that I'm not a fan of the vocals on. Besides what? 13. <laughs> <laughs> it's an instrumental <laughs> surprise, surprise. In any case. I'm going to stab you. I've made myself clear yeah. how much I've enjoyed uh, his vocals throughout yeah. this album. I don't feel that this particular style fit him. That's just taste. But I do think it, it hurt the track a little bit. I, just... I mean, it gives you one less... Asp- one less iota of virtuosity to focus on. When you detract that, it leaves a hole. This song was very indicative of of for Justin Furstenfeld's typical hip-hop style when he does decide to do hip-hop lyrics. I didn't dislike it as much as Steve did. I thought it was okay. No, definitely- <coughs> Bless me. you, and thank wow. you for sneezing on air. You're welcome. Ow. Couldn't have turned. And he peaked the microphone big time as I watched the thing crawl. You'll, oh, have to tur- you'll have to edit that. Have fun, Steve. <laughs> <coughs> anyway, um, so I don't, I you know I disagree with Steve a little bit. I can see where you're going, but I think that difference between us comes mostly from tastes. I think that he's done hip hop better in previous records. However, I still didn't mind it so much. I kind of enjoyed it. Um, you it's, know, it was okay. It wasn't this by the, f- the hip hop nature of the song didn't vary enough for me no. to actually really enjoy it. It was just okay. It wasn't yeah. great. And he should not be hip-hopping. He should be singing. 
Uh, I disagree. He should not be rapping. He should be singing. He is a great singer. It's not rapping per se, but it's uh, it's it's a style <clears throat> of singing I associate with a lot of hip hop hip hop music, and I think this would be back shelf hip hop music if uh, if it were to be a album of its own or an offshoot band of his where he only sang like this instead of his usual pleasing yeah, right. but i think that's why voice. it only has a moment on the albums as opposed to full albums because he doesn't prefer to do it he just likes doing it from time to time and so it shows up but here. this speaking to this song it's can it's continuing the theme of rebuild and transformation because yep. this is where he starts the whole rediscovery finding a new person to find his life with getting over the previous person yeah the reason i'm bringing all this up is that things we do at night track 11 is him finally culminating a new relationship. So for me, this song was so catchy and cliche. Oh, it's so cliche. I almost made up a new word. I was I was actually writing the word catchy, but I put an L in it. So I wrote, I created the cross of catchy and cliche, clatchy. Or no, that's terrible. Or Steve edit that out. That was terrible. <laughs> but there's no better way to put it than clatchy. It was so cliche and so infectious in its style that it it worked great. It it, it, it was so it. good. The way he the chorus was awesome. The way he sings, speaks, sings the chorus. It really and repeats sim- the same word within the chorus several times. It still kind of pulls you in because it's just really memorable. And that's the thing about a catchy chorus that always hooks you is if it's easily memorized, it's always memorable. When somebody's got nobody, you want somebody to have somebody. I mean, it was, it's really on the nose but it's got such a heavy guitar drum work with it I the really liked back. It was the way really good and it was sincere yeah I really Absolutely liked, sincere I really liked the way that the um that the vocals sort of cracked off this repeating guitar riff mm-hmm. it was yeah. a very it was a very creative I think that's one of the reasons we, we see it as such a catchy uh, chorus because it's First of all, when you have one moment, this is why I always say I'm, I'm sometimes about the moments and not always about the full arc. When you have a moment that is just that irresistible, it makes it so that all this stuff we say about repetition and looping doesn't matter in the slightest. You, you can repeat it as much as you want and it will become sort of an anthem. And that's a good thing. That means you've found something. When you find something, you know, it's okay to beat it into the ground a little bit because once the song's over, it's over. And... You gotta climax in something here, and this is a pretty good note to climax on. The rejuvenating yourself. Finding a new. And this story is not yet done, because now we have Not Broken Anymore. So Not Broken Anymore is one of those songs, emotionally, we'll talk about the emotion first, that resonated so hard with me, it rattled me. And the reason it is, is because it's so cliche, so predictable, but so beautiful, that, like, you can't help but but get hooked by it because he's pouring his heart out in the song but in one of the more cliche romantic sweet you help me rebuild myself kind of a way <laughs> and uh, yeah anybody getting an idea what uh, we actually think of this album because I'm not <laughs> every track so far I mean oh that was cliche but that was cliche but it worked this is really That's... this to me is the line this is the line <clears throat> writing on that line between pop and you know the the, the the shallow, predictable stuff that, yeah, makes it to the top of the charts and everything, but it doesn't really have much to offer, culturally speaking. And the other side of the line, which is introspective, offers something, maybe that, not will make it to the top of the charts, or, or it may, you never really know, it's hit or miss with that. That's the sort of stuff that breaches social commentary or personal explore, exploration or 
attempts at true creativity. Yeah, a slice of life of something, <laughs> offering something that has not been done before. Groundbreaking in some certain way. And this is just on <clears throat> that line. This is, this is, sometimes it uses the framework of one, but the, the tropes of another, or vice versa. It's really tough. Not Broken anymore personifies that idea. Yeah. It really is on the line of, it could have been the catchiest song of the year for for Sweet Summer Love and all that ideas, but it could have been the most emotional song of the year if it had taken that step towards it. It, it really rode the line, which leaves me trying to puzzle out how I feel about this song. I'll say this, going back to... Episodes 33 and 34, we had a big discussion on intelligence versus creativity in yes. music. And I think I'm going to put this a little bit more toward the intelligence side. It does strike me as the kind of thing that, that borrows exactly what it needs to at any given point. And that may be the production master. Again, we don't know the label, but maybe he's just done so much of this stuff that it was his idea. We don't know any of that stuff. Or maybe it was Justin Furstenfels to begin with. You can do a lot of magic in the studio. I, I think that Justin Furstenfeld, if I'm not mistaken, does have a lot of influence on the production end. I believe they do produce the record as well. But, be that as it may, this song clearly... It, it's earnest again. We're back to earnest because it's putting its... He's, his hearts are on his sleeve again. He's talking about how this person has saved him and helped him rebuild anew. Right. And it's just it, and it's and it's dripping with that emotion. Well, we get that theme, and we've already we've already established that theme, and I'm I'm content with that. Right. At the same time, the music is just not always up to snuff. You know, and this I'm afraid this this track is just. In many ways, that that might be it. The, the theme here feels a little bit repeated, not broken anymore. We almost got that impression. This is almost like the chapter in a book that you could have done without, the filler. Epilogue? No, I, I, I seriously mean a chapter or a scene <clears throat> in a film that seemed to serve no particular purpose, but it was there. It was there just to tie, you know, provide a little bit of a break between yeah, one scene and another. Those things that are. We know that he's not broken anymore at this point. It's been established. But those scenes and those things that technically you don't need, those things can still be enjoyed regardless of whether you needed them or not. I don't feel. And I enjoy this song. I think, I think you're feeling. Uh, Steve, I think you might be. I think you're hearing too much of the original theme work here. I'm I'm seeing a difference. I'm seeing an evolution in a new person in Not Broken Anymore than what we had in Sway and Angel and everything. It's a different individual. It's a very similar individual. It's the same person, but with growth. Yeah, because in the, the lyrics in the song talk about he's not broken anymore. He doesn't want to do these things anymore. He wants to be that person. He wants to be... All right, then let's, let's return. The now that I've said all that, let's return to what I like about this track. First of all, we have his signature vocals back and at full force. Yay. Riding strong. Awesome. Along with that, great cello work. Like, glorious cello work. Yeah. Um, again, this is the kind of stuff that's... You know, a production master's wet dream. <laughs> um, and then to, to boot, we do have one new element, and that's the little classical guitar, which uh, hadn't yeah. really been introduced yet, so I appreciated that. So, not all bad. And then we come to the final track of the record, 2B. 2B is, in my opinion, a great bookend, to bring it back around to what Steve was saying, to the record. A lot of the songs had great bookends. I think this track is a great bookend to the record. It's an all-instrumental track with some audio sampling uh, pulled from We're Not Sure What. This is um, the counterpart to Breathe It's Over. 
Yeah. Very much so. The yin to its yang. Exactly. Yeah. About a minute and a half, two minutes outro. This is a full-fledged outro. It's enjoyable. And I understand its placement. I understand what it is doing. I personally feel like I don't really need it when I'm listening to this album. Unless I want to do a full album listen through. It, I really... I, it's... it's it's true. I can't really stand alone. But at the same point, I do got to admire the uh, the musicality at work here, the comp their composition, which for the first time I can honestly say is really well composed. Um, the rest of the stuff, you know, not that when you bring in a lot of orchestral themes, sometimes they you can you could splice them up in cookie cutter fashions, which is why I'm talking about production work and all that. But this doesn't didn't seem to be quite the case. There seemed to be a lot of soul in in this. Uh, you can see that even just in the chord work. I mean, there's little changes here and there. You go, you start with like a nice A, me a major, uh, resounding chorus, and then you switch just subtly to a to a five chord pedal. Right? You keep the A major, A major, but instead you pedal it with E beneath instead of A beneath. So just a little touch, just to imply that there's something evolving. Right? And this track doesn't evolve too far. It is a bookending track. It serves almost the same exact purpose as Breathe, Breathe It's Over. Kind of short. And it just sort of delivers. And just look at the titles for a minute as far as emotionality goes. <coughs> Breathe It's Over. Signifying this is the beginning of the end. Obviously, yeah. And then and the then title of the final track, To Be. As in, where future. will you go next? The future, yeah. The future. That's and why I like the subtle changes right there. It's almost like it's trying to predict itself. It's, it's very... It's very clever. Yeah, I think it's it's a beautifully it's, constructed bookend. It's kind of the point where you point at him and you touch your nose and you go on the nose. There you go. You got it there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it. Yeah. It's yeah. very on the nose. It's very much straightforward. But when you're dealing with a personal emotional toll, sometimes things are pretty on the nose. And I think it's apparent that a lot of this album, if not all of it, comes from a very personal place. And that's why you get some of these highs and lows. And so, I mean, you know, in closing and wrapping up for this album, I mean, as far as emotional arc is when we go with an album, I mean, this one has a strong one. And we've talked about strong emotional arcs. But this one, I mean, from beginning to end, he's telling you how he feels. The band is telling you how they feel together. I mean, it mostly comes through how he sings. But this is a very emotional record. And... My hesitation to listen to this record, and I'm going to go into something a little bit. I know why I like Bleed Out more than you guys. Because Bleed Out directly represents something I went through. You know? Sometimes you can't avoid that. And that's why I think I connect with it more than anything else. Is that when you're left, almost as if you feel like you're bleeding out on the floor and being ignored and being left behind. A song like that makes you really resonate. And... I like that jump into the impact because it has that emotional power that I felt listening to that song when it upset me because it represented something I went through quite personally that being said a lot of Blue October did that for me and I had a fear that I might not be able to listen to them because it was very closely connected to something emotional to me but they're a band that I love so much that I've worked through it and there are certain songs that I will never listen to again by them like Calling You and a few others but overall I still love this band I got into them and as far as singers go He's one, He's the singer I relate to the most because I connect almost every time he opens his mouth. That being said, as a whole sway is a is a good to great Blue October record. 
It's better than Any Man in America. That album actually quite disappointed me compared to their previous works. This one, however, feels like Blue October from beginning to end. Their specific cliches or tropes, as they've been said throughout the review, are there. But for me, I think the thing that really connects me with this album, like all others, is his singing, how he sings, and even a lot of what he says. Because while John didn't like the lyrics because they lacked metaphor or complication in parts, I didn't mind it because I'm just connecting. Um, this one was tough to, to review for me because of the previously mentioned connection to the band. But I've come around and I'm going to be listening to them a lot more again. I wanted to give it a four. And I want to give it a little more than a four, but I'm not sure where. It's not a four five for me. There's, <laughs> That's what I told you. It's the line. <laughs> it's that thing where... There are mo- there are four point five and almost five star songs on this record at moments, and there are definitely five star moments. But for me, I think it's I give it a four point two five. But and I think that two point two five bump is because of how much I connect with it, and I think if you're in a place where I am or was, you're really going to connect with this record. If you went through hurt recently, you and you suffered this will help you get through and you will really connect. So for me, it's a 4.25. It's shy of a 4.5 because his work is 4.5, the singing, but the band just doesn't keep up with that 4.5 level. Well, I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is the line to me. This is, this is, is literally straddling that line between the predictable and also between the uh, the surprising the the eye opening uh, but I have to put it just a little bit below that line for reasons of, of musicality his vocals aren't to be questioned I want to go right up ahead and say that he could probably start his own solo band in a heartbeat <laughs> um, but you know it comes down to it comes down to that cookie cutter. I'm gonna to try to keep that the last time I say that term. It's it's that that framework that really just kind of bothers me. Um, it's a little bit of a pop bias, I guess, and I've managed to avoid pop biases. I think throughout a lot of the albums we've reviewed here, but in this case, it seems a little bit unavoidable. It it seems to be staring me in the face, even when he's getting his most emotional. It seems to be this undertone that that provides a constriction makes it so I can't relate. It makes it so that I can read the lyrics, I can be like, okay, I see what you're going through, but there's no empathy there. It's all just sympathy. And that's the one problem I think I have with it. It, it, it might be a very personal work in that regard because this is the type of music that appeals to him. But I feel like there's not a lot of... not a lot of sharing that with the instruments at play, and that even includes the orchestral music at times. Um, this might be a chamber work, I don't know. It, it doesn't sound as grand enough to be orchestral. It might just be a smaller sec, but that's kind of a sidebar. Um, it just sometimes feels that even they borrow that, that cookie-cutter aspect. I had to do it. I had to say it again. So, between all those things, I, I think I need to put this just a little bit below 4 for me. It, it It's going to be about 3.75, because there's enough here that 
that it's not just below the line, it's, it's kind of considered below the line when I look at just the vocals being the primary draw. So, yeah. I'll leave it at that. I, like Matt, I, I know a lot about Blue October's discography, and I've always considered them to be a standout band from the crowd, yet not on a pedestal. That's, that's where I'd make that distinction. They are very much, very similar in a lot of respects to a lot of other bands out there, but they have defining features. One is the vocal work, but it used to be the lyrical work, and that's something I can't really gloss over. Nothing was offensive when you got right down to it. Some of it was just silly, in my opinion. Some of it was just a little bit too on the nose, but none of it really hit that inspiring level, and that's what last week got me with with the the black sabbath record p.s ozzy didn't write a lot of that if i remember correctly the lyrics were mostly uh tony yomi yeah but it was it was that aspect that was coupled with such a distinct voice that really set it apart from the herd blue october did that a lot and i don't see it here that coupled with a couple there's there's some great songs here not five-star for me, but a lot of four-star level, you know, doing really good work. Sway's one of them. Sway really does work. Angel and Everything really does work. And Debris is a great song. It, it hits the mark with what it's attempting. But when you're talking about fear and hard candy, I'm just not feeling it to the same extent. And to go from light you up which was very forgettable into things we do at night i mean i understand the the thematic placement with this album but there's a real change in quality in my opinion from song to song and that breaks it up for me there's a heavy theme there's a there's a solid arc it's not groundbreaking but it is a great concept and it's obviously very emotional but the quality becomes very scattered and I, I I lose myself in this album and can't see it as a full piece but it's still really good it's a it's a three five I'm not calling it a four there's just enough lacking outside of the bass and vocals that it can't hit four you know something in my gut told me that you were gonna go for a 3.5 after that speech and <laughs> I think you might have persuaded me down there um, I understand your connection, Storm, and I know why. Yeah, this is this is a personal That's, thing. Yeah. There's always, you know, it's the same thing you always say, Matt. It's it's all about, um, it's all about our musical ear. What we're looking no, for. No, it's, in it's music, more about what you you say at the end when you were telling people, you know, uh, check it out or it's forget it, it listen, listen or buy it. Yeah, this is definitely not a forget it. This is a check it out for me. Um, a check it out means it may just strike you in that right place as it's hitting Matt right now, but if it doesn't. There are holes. There are definite holes here. There are specific things that it does very, very well in specific moments. That's not cohesion, though, so I'm going to give it... I think 3.5 is probably the the average, and I think there probably is the line uh, between a lot of the stuff we talk about. For pop, for what we would consider mainstream music, it's excellent. Yeah. But for rock and for more indie sounds, for, for it's the, just for the grand pantheon of music, it's just I know there's more that could be done with these themes and with his vocals. I will give him one thing. Blue October and I've always respected them for this. They are a very safe, approachable sound 
that gets people interested in other types of music, and I love them for that. And that's something I got to give them props for. They've they've always been not experimental, but adaptable. I do like in their style. I do you know, like the dip, and you know, even though it was a little bit awkward at moments, I do like the dip into the uh, the varying genres toward the middle end of the album. I think that that the more that we talk about it, the more I see what you're saying, and. I would openly and fully admit that the reason I rated it so highly is because of the direct emotional connected connection to specific personal experiences for me make me connect to it so much more. However, I feel like it for... I will preface this. You're the emotional guy. If I was rating more... (laughs) Preface. If I was a more emotional person and wasn't really that disappointed in the lyrics, this would be a four to four or five album for me. Uh, From where your standpoint, I don't care your connection to it. For for you being one of the three, yeah, to, the three I, I'm monkeys gonna, I'm gonna in this situation, you to stick. yeah, if you're no, not, no, not changing, I'm not. you should don't stick. change. It's a four and a quarter emotionally, four five emotionally. Yeah, it'll all be in the average in the end. So yeah. you know, for yeah, emotionally speaking, this this has this has this defi- really definite perks to it. Yeah. So yeah, you you should curve it up. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. Well, I think that's what it is, is it would have been a 4.5 emotionally for me if those holes weren't there, because I even can't ignore stuff like light it up and put it in. Yeah, we talk about... And that brought it down for me That's the thing, we talk about feels on this album, on this uh, podcast quite often, and um, I just would like to expand upon this a little bit. You, You have Blue October, Matt, and I know you, Steve, have mentioned a few times Modest Mouse... Is is a is emotionally triggering band for you? A little bit, kind of a weird one. But um, I was actually just we're going to get a little personal here. After listening to this album, I went back to Kids in the Street, All American Rejects. The reason for that is it was around the time of my breakup that I fell in love with that album, and it's weird how much different that album here listen that 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 album seems nowadays and i went back into my discography to a couple of other songs a couple of other albums um pinkerton from weezer another one that i have a lot of emotional connection to the albums have changed dramatically for me well it's one of those it's, things that it's it's about the, the the position you were in we can even Put this generally, not just to talk about breakups, but the, the the place you were in at one moment when you hear something versus the place you are in currently or will be in the future. That it's the way the brain works. It just it has a tendency to make impressions, and you cannot always avoid those impressions. At the same time, it's like a game of telephone. The brain is malleable, and it can create new impressions as a result. It's a weird thing. Right, and I was actually talking about this recently with someone. We've gone on. We've gone on at nauseum almost about an emotional connection, especially when it comes to breakups and that kind of stuff with music and sadness and that kind of thing. And so, for Blue October is my example. Blue October is a band that I thought I might not be able to listen to again, but listening to them recently, I realized no, I can. However, there's still that one song that if I listen to it, I'm done. I can't. I just can't do it. And like I said, it was calling you by Blue October because it's got such a specific memory attached to it and a specific thing. That I can never detach well, it or move you past are. it. Strongest impressions will take the longest to actually be malleable. Yeah. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is because I came up with an idea a few weeks ago. Which do people find more important when listening to music from an emotional standpoint? Is it the sympathy it evokes or is it the empathy it evokes? Now, to explain the difference, 
Sympathy is you're feeling what they're feeling. Empathy is the ability to understand the situation itself and kind of put you in their shoes. You can feel one without the other. You can feel, well, I've been in that exact situation, but I definitely didn't feel that way. Your, your explanation requires some fine-tuning. Yeah. So, <laughs> em- sympathy is less personal than empathy. Empathy, you feel what they feel. Sympathy is you feel for them. That's the difference. So, you have sympathy for someone who's going through something, but you don't directly experience that emotion. You just feel bad for them or feel for them. Which empathy, can... you feel what they feel. If someone next to you is crying and they're depressed... You feel depressed. You know, I often feel that this conversation can go down a bad place because sometimes people have a bad connotation with the word sympathy that it denotes words like pity. And it's not the same thing. You know, that you're standing at a a distant place, standing on a pedestal with an impression of the other person. The words sad and sympathy have become synonymous. I feel sympathy for you. I feel sad for you. That is a terrible comparison. Sympathetic joy. I mean, usually when you're talking about sympathy and empathy and all that stuff, it's because someone is feeling bad and you want to share their grief, trying to make them feel better. But that's not how it works from a Webster dictionary point of view. The reason these words exist, the reason we have sympathy and empathy is because none of us are capable of telepathy. I mean, right. you, we can't honestly know. Even even empathy is is often a stretch. It's it's the it's the impression that one of us is really feeling what the other person is feeling. Yeah, it's no a, one can possibly know. Empathy, empathy is, is a is a stronger word for it, though. No, empathy is understanding the situation, and, uh, and that's the whole thing. Empathy doesn't have an emotional connotation. It's the ability to put yourself in their shoes, literally. Sometimes empathy can even be worse than sympathy because empathy, uh, and this is the oh, devil's no. advocate, this is the other it's, side of the equation. I understand where you're coming from, but you're dumb okay. to feel that way. That, that's I was gonna take a different. Sympathy. I was going to take a different route on that. Uh, it's I understand where you're coming from. Here's my anecdote and superimpose my anecdote over yours, which does yeah. take a little bit of, you know, personal. It takes away the personal side. Right, but also there are other sides of empathy whereas they're like I myself have always considered myself a person if I'm around someone who's depressed I feel like I can feel it whether I really can or not is neither here nor there but I feel like if someone's giving off this depressed feel that's sympathy I start to feel depressed that's not not empathizing that's sympathy no it's not yes it is you are sharing in their grief didn't we just say it was the other way around? No, empathy is not necessarily related to emotions. I don't know if that's right. Empathizing is the ability to put yourself in one's shoes and understand the situation. Because you've had similar experiences. But I just said that it was not that, it was no, the other way. No, but you were saying how you were feeling depressed. Right. That's not empathy. He's going to Webster's Dictionary anyway. Well, but I want to point this out, like... The reason I, uh, kids in the street, I've gone nostalgic on. I've gone emotionally invested in it. And I could think about, I used to be sad and now I'm not. But I, I got to look to a song we recently did, Same Love. Now, I'm not homosexual, but I cry during that song every single time because right. I can feel their pain. Well, also, that song eventually isn't even about just fighting for gay rights. It's also about... Just fighting for rights, eventually. It's, it's about, and but from my standpoint, I'll put it out there. I'm white, European descent, 
Christian, I really have all the rights forever. I was not ever fighting for rights. But to feel that emotional turmoil that happens through that, it it's it's a weird point of view. I don't know. I, I, I for one stand on the opposite side of that equation, not because I'm of any different descent or uh it's I think I think uh, that that's that's going down the the road of white guilt and everything. That there should always I don't feel white guilt. Th- yeah, well, th- everyone should always feel something for everyone, regardless of yeah. wherever yes. the hell you are. That's okay. That's great. That's exactly what it is. Well, yeah, yeah, I had this rant on Facebook, not to get too far off topic, but I had this rant on Facebook where I overheard someone complaining about how Group A doesn't have the rights and we have to fight for our rights, and then started to immediately bash Group B and say that they don't deserve to have rights, and it's like. If you're fighting for rights and you're a minority, you should be fighting for all rights, not just your rights. Because if everybody gets your gets rights, you'll get them too. You know that kind of a thing. The only reason I snapped at that is because it tends to go down. You know that that anecdote people always tell. Oh, I once uh, heard the the sob stories of a, of a of a person who daddy didn't buy me another credit card or or uh, or yeah. buy me a new Bentley or anything like that. It's like okay. On the face of it, as far as an anecdote goes, yes, we can probably say those are shallow things. But you don't know anything about his life. You don't know anything about the kind of uh, person, the kind of spoiled person he was. I'm making up this person. This person doesn't really exist. But who knows? Who knows? You can't really know another person well enough to say that. Well, I've always said that. there's always something to sympathize for. A person's problems are the world's biggest problems to them. Yeah. Your scope of your problems, your issues, your suffering uh, will always be bigger to you because they're yours. But here's the question I want to ask. Would you rather be able to relate to the situation in a song or would you rather it just be toward a, an emotional song? Well, let's look at these definitions verbatim and stop trying to pretend we know exactly what they are. Although I don't want to... everyone, It does come down to impressions sometimes, but there is... A standard. First of all, we have sympathy. It's an affinity, association, or relationship between persons or things wherein whatever affects one similarly affects the other. And that kind of does support what Matt was saying. Yes. All things considered. So what, sympathy? sympathy? Yeah. And then empathy is actually a much more straightforward definition. The ability to understand and share the feelings of another. It's more straightforward of the same exact kind of thing. So sometimes I think we're demarcating this line a little bit too boldly. They are very similar, but empathy does imply a, a very... An understanding of the situation. Yes, an, an understanding through having felt. Sympathy is a little bit more distant. We can admit that. Now let's swing it back around to music. Because music invokes both of these very frequently... And what we wanted to understand is whether one is better over the other. And for me, I mean, I think it becomes, when it comes right down to it, it's how you personally interpret music and how you personally enjoy music. Everyone enjoys music differently. For me, I would wholly admit music is often a catharsis for me one way or the other. I, the thing that kept me off hardcore drugs kept me from suicide kept me from harsh things cutting myself all that typical high school crap that stupid kids do is music listening to music my whole life if i'm really upset instead of being depressed 
doing a drug, whatever, I would listen to music, cry, get it out of my system, and move on. Just like if I'm very happy and in a great mood, I'll put on a catchy, annoyingly dancey song and groove along to it and enjoy it. Okay. Well, it, all right. If so gonna, it's if we're going to be a little bit gushing here. Music for me, contrasting that, because I, I, I can't even say that I was ever even close to that stuff to right. have even uh, put music as the object of avoiding it necessarily. Right. I'm sure there would have been other friends in my life who could have, you know, steered me away from that stuff. So they're not really connected. For me, it's always about, like, you know, the laziness and the rut that you get in when you're just not having any ideas, you're just not not experiencing anything new. Sometimes, you know, life, life has to evolve. You need to be put in positions where you're going to have to make decisions that are out of your comfort zone. And that's what music has always done for me. It's always been a brainstorming tool. It's always elevated me to, like, another level of consciousness that in the previous hour, you know, before turning on anything, there wasn't any, there wasn't any budging. There was no budging. There wouldn't have been any budging, conceivably, for the foregoing, for the week, you know? So music just, will change that. Music will change that and spark in action a way of thinking, whatever you need at that moment. So I think it sounds like, based on, before we get to John, what I'm saying seems more empathetic, whereas yours seems more sympathetic. Uh, I can't go that far, all no. things considered. Because you're, you're sharing the emotions of the song. Specifically trying to find songs to share the emotions of your song. Hmm. That's not trying to understand. That's just trying to fit your mood. An empathy... Uh, here's my greatest song. Because I always prefer a more understanding of the situation... And emoting from there than just trying to hit pure emotional you know, concordance. All right, we'll let you go and then wrap around My because real, I want to... A song... Okay. I suffered from manic depression growing up. And a song that just always struck me as the explanation of my manic mood was Flagpole Sitta. <laughs> yeah. I see it. Just the lines. I had visions. I was in them. I was looking into a mirror. Right from the beginning of that song. That song has always meant for me manic. That is a song that when I want to feel manic, I just think about it. I don't even have to hear it. I just completely understand where he's coming from and use it to become that emotion or use it to understand that emotion. That's empathy. I, I can't really see it as a sympathetic reaction, though. That's what, that's what I'm getting at. So you're on the empathy side of things yes. right now. I I like, that's, how, that's what I prefer. Personally, I think I enjoy both depending on the mood and depending on what I want to listen to. I mean, sometimes I'm listening to stuff to not feel anything. I mean, that's when I put Rob Zombie on. Because his songs are just fast, fun, and have no real emotional connection A lot whatsoever. of times, well, that's what I think I had described was, you know, putting myself in a particular mood. But then yeah. again, it's it, it does come down to... And I'll let you guys decide whether this is uh, sympathy or empathy or not. But a lot of times it does come down to that mood sparking that idea, as I described before. Mm -hmm. Whatever that idea may be, but it puts me in a zone where I am, you know, at my best, at my most creative, at my most uh, content or have the best outlook on life as it is to Mm -hmm. make the correct decisions as we all should. And sometimes that could be something as strange as perhaps a composer's particular style a lot of time you know I, impressionism tends to do that to me first of all that's the whole 
idea behind impression is. It's supposed to be just impressions of things here and there. To give you an impression. Yeah, well funny because a lot of impressionist composers hate that term they just, they just applied it to them because they were trying to come up with what 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 is this music that makes me feel something so clearly i'm not the only one right but i would say that's actually a sympathetic reaction you're taking the emotions present in the music because there's no situation to work off of there's really nothing but i create there. my own situation is the thing that's, we attribute that's why i like a lot of instrumental music is because there's no lyrics but there. i like i like emotions. the creativity that that comes with uh music that well inspires such creativity. I think that but, comes a little bit from both. Then I think you're I think, writing the both yeah. columns of it. I, I but you've said Probably yourself both columns. You here's, said another, yourself, here's another. Here's another example. Wait, 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 wait. You said yourself there are certain chords that just say happy and sad and anger. That I kind of like the grays just, though. I enjoy the grays more than no, any. No, no, the but I'm saying of, there are specific chords. You've said yourself that do represent. Or just are ingrained in us to represent emotions. Those are oh yeah, as, as a society, up, sure. That's a straight up sympathetic reaction. All right, but at the same time, I'm going to bring up a different example here, which I feel like does straddle the two tiers, as Matt was starting to say. Rhapsody in Blue. I feel like I'm feeling what a lot of other people are feeling at that particular moment, which is they feel the fast-paced nature of the 1920s. You know, that's what George Gershwin, when he wrote it. That's what he was trying to to bring to the table because, you know, jazz was starting to do that. Jazz was the the genre to do it in, of course. It was the jazz of of America, uh, the the genre of America, the the genre of New York. And this was the piece to to deliver people that that emotion of all the cultural ideas that you'll be sharing, all the, the just the idea of experiencing a collectivity of people. That was a new experience. It was a very American idea, and it was a very New York idea. It's kind of when we got our own identity. And that's kind of a universal thing for that one piece. It's not as vague as something like Impressionism, as I just said. This is this is one idea spread to many. And some people fall in love with that, and some people are just okay with that. I fell in love with that. The first time I heard that piece, I felt all of what he was trying to get at. By saying you fell in love with that but other people didn't that's empathy oh it's 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 I mean, understanding the situation it's being able to understand the emotions involved in it but to not actually feel you know maybe they don't like that fast-paced emotion which is why they don't like the piece of course i know plenty of people who you know they we live in the city so a lot of people hate the city they want to get out they want to get out yeah. of the country and all that stuff this is and it, the it's, rhapsody it's a, it's blue the type of is not what they atmosphere. want atmosphere yeah. yeah it's a type of atmosphere it's only suited to certain people it's that's based on impressions as i was talking about in the very beginning uh, we, we have the, to the type of impression that something leaves uh, on your mind i think that we're only kind of scratching the surface of this and i mean the reality the reality of it is these are very closely related words that are very hard to define, but it's an interesting topic. This is something that people have been talking about for a very long time, and everybody's heard, I empathize with your situation, but I have no no sympathy sympathy for you. And people say the vice versa all the time. Yeah. Right. I, I, I know what you're going through. But I think your summation or was I pretty feel- good, you know, at that point, when you just, you know, described, you know, impression. my experience with impressionism is something yeah. that's sympathetic and... My experience with a a piece that really is about something specific that you can't yeah. ignore it. It's written, you know. You can find mounds of literature uh, 
about it. And there's, and there's all, a lot of music. There's whole different ways you can go into it. I, I'm not an inner city kid trying to make it up in the world and everything like that, but I love a lot of hip hop and the roots of hip hop and those original sounds, which were what hip hop was. So that might more be sympathy. In that exactly. Right. Yet other genres, rock and roll. I really empathize with the situations they're talking about. I really do get that because I feel like I was there growing up with it. And I love that genre for that reason. I mean, you could divide it by genre. You could divide it by artist. You, there's so many divisions of you like this because of this, that because of that. I'd like to explore how well, we Well, that's feel like about my stuff. clearest example before we wrap up of sympathy, I think, for me. Father of Mine by Everclear. I have my father. My father loves me very much, annoyingly so sometimes. <laughs> I never lost my father. However, listening to that song and the you way can't. Art sings that song, you can't help but sympathize with how he feels because he's pouring his heart into it. But I'm not feeling it because I'm not... I, I have my father. He well, didn't leave me as a kid. The vast majority of music is like that. You yeah. know, where you're, you're... People are different. There's 6 billion, 7 billion people now on the planet and... Ish. Ish. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah. We're gonna get up there soon. But, um... It's, you're bound to come across people who have experienced different things. And yes, there's a lot of similar themes we find in music. And pop music, it, the reason we call it pop music is because it explores the themes that I think we, we all have the most common connections, connections with. Yeah, I, You know, a lot, most people will go through some form of love in their life, some form of heartbreak, some form of loss. There's mm-hmm. always hope. People, you look for parties, you look for romance, you look for... Exciting events and mellow events. This is all explored. At the same point, would you call that, you know, those general themes that we find in pop music, would you call that empathy? It depends upon the situation. That's that's where we come situation. I think it's well, so malleable at that point because yeah. it's so broad. I think an interesting thing to do probably for our part two of this would be to come up with specific song examples that we feel specifically one way or the other towards and then present them to each other and see if it's related the same way or not. Mostly mostly try to nitpick it and see if we can pick each other's ideas apart and be like, ah, you're wrong right there because, I mean, well, it'd just that's be interesting what we do to see here. What it, but it would be interesting to see how differently we may emote with other songs that we could, that, that could have seemingly such a clear emotion, maybe. Yeah. That maybe won't when we talk about it. I'm down with it. Okay. Right. That would require us doing research, finger quotes, and work. Hey, we quotes. do research. I, I do research. I, I, I love how when, Matt, when Matt's saying the word quotes, he, he always says the word quote and finger quotes at the same time. It's adorable. Like a puppy. Thanks. Helpful. Can we please move on? Steve, can you please deliver the spam? All right. Our spam mail. Drum roll. That's a drum roll. Get it? Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Get out of the way with that good inner framption. What's an infraction? It's like a framption, yet more closed off. It, it, I think he was going for inf- information, but it's a... Oh! Spammers aren't the brightest in the world. That's because they don't think at all. They're robots. But they have a computer to write these things for them, and computers have spell checks, so that's, that's inexcusable. How do you generate that, though? How do you just generate something so that specific? I don't care. Moving on. What's if they're com- robots, they should be able to spell... You have dictionaries. And speaking of spelling unusually, I heard that our band next week made up their own language. Yes, we're doing Cirrus next week. Now, for anybody familiar with the post-rock community, and that's an uh, interesting little connection today, considering that this band borrowed from post-rock themes to fill their pop 
framework, and we're just gonna dive right in and do post-rock in its truest form. Sea Rose is pretty well known for that, and they are from Iceland. And what's their album called? Kvikir. Why? And what's, why? Wait, 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 wait. It doesn't K- sound like real English or K- anything. K-V-E. No, 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 no. Actually, that may very well be Icelandic. It is a fine line between Icelandic and the language they created called Hopelandic. Hey, so they made up their own language. Yeah, Hopelandic. That's right. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, that happened. Well, I mean, oh, it'll they be offered it at a, at a course at college, so, yeah. Are you fluent in Hopelandic? I, I, I'm absolutely fluent in Hopelandic. Well, no, speaking of made-up languages... Not really. I could okay. just make up syllables and, and keep Speaking going. of made-up language, the only one that actually is available for course study is Elvish by Tolkien. It's the only one I've come across. That's true. And, well, I'll get more into this next week, but... Oh, no, wait. I forgot Romulan and Klingon. Anyway. <laughs> Well, Which in any case, yeah, we'll get more into this next week because yeah. that that language. I'm not going to ask how, uh, Steve how to spell it. That language is theirs is merely Steve, to fill the melody itself. Steve likes to dive into new genres, and we don't know if it's Jello or razor blade, so we'll see. We'll see. Before we wrap up, also, I just want to say we have officially confirmed a date for the end of September to have Painless Parker on. He's going to perform for us and bring us an album, which I have to ask him about. Why don't we wrap it up? So Part we, the prepared ones, today. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. Uh, I've got nothing left. Like, my brain's just shut off. And as you know, and as always, and forever. Music is life, and and life life is is good. good.